0: Again, welcome. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It is my joy and privilege to open up the Word of God with you this morning. We are in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, and if you're new here, uh, or if this is your first time, welcome. If, if you've been a few times, or or if you've been through the summer, and you're just trying to consider, hey, is this a church that, that I can fold my family, my, my life into? Uh, this is actually a great week for you to be here, uh, because as we uh, are really kind of celebrating what we call strategic servant Sunday, it kind of pulls back the the veil a little bit and says, what's going on? And three, three and a half years ago, when we started this church, we started with the idea that we wanted to resist the arena culture in which we live. You know what arena culture is? Arena culture is, uh, for example, if F and when they have live music again at Red Rocks and you go there and you show up and they're like, Hey, welcome. Uh, can you, can you run some cables and and can you run the sound for us? You'd be like, no, 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 I, I don't do any of that. I just sit here and I just consume. That's what. That's the deal. And so, that, that there's a lot of churches that are like, "Hey, that that works in our culture, arena culture." But, but, but the church is not a not a, a performance or a show. It is a faith family in in which we're all in, and, and we have a mission that's far too important for us to have uh, just be in rows and not be on mission together. And so, uh, this morning is just a a, a a way for us to look at how in one small way how on Sunday mornings you can be invited to invest in a faith family and to serve. Now, we also don't want to be about Sunday mornings. Like Sunday mornings are great. They help uh, gather us. They help us together as God's people, uh, worship. But, but we say this circles are better than rows. Uh, we want to get you in community. We want to get you out in community and we want to be a church that is for one another, for our neighbors and for our nations, for the nations. And if you were here last week, you heard Josh Duncan come and speak about the nations, particularly uh, the people groups in Nepal. And, and just our, our heart is that we would grow in our desire to see the nations come and see and savor Jesus. But today, uh, I want to look at that first one, one another. How do we love and serve one another? Because here's what I know about everyone in this room. In some way, shape, or form, you desire significance. You desire greatness. Like it might be in sports. It might be in business. You might want to desire to be a great husband, a great wife. In some way in your life, there is a hunger, a longing for greatness. And Jesus is going to come along and say today, that's a right desire. That's actually good. It's part of being an image bearer of the one who created us. We long for greatness and that's good but the problem in in this world and in our own hearts and lives is in the brokenness we go down paths seeking greatness that actually don't end to greatness but but they end in destruction. And so today Jesus is going to teach us the single greatest leadership principle in the world has ever seen. Do you ever notice Jesus never came and said, hey guys, I need a bunch of volunteers. I need some volunteers to get this mission going. He never said that. The stakes were far too high for that, far too significant. Jesus never asked for volunteers. You've probably been at churches, organizations, Boy Scouts, your sports club, and they say, we need some volunteers. We need you to make oranges. Like, Jesus never said that. We saw a few weeks ago that uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, there's something far more significant than we can even think or fathom right now going on in the church. That, that you, the people on your left and right, as we gather and we, we worship God, Ephesians chapter 3 says, are displaying the manifold wisdom of God. That, that There is no higher purpose. There is no higher mission on the planet than the mission of Christ through his church right now. This is, this is why we don't need volunteers. Well, we need servant leaders. We need strategic servants that understand that. And and to do that, we have to wrap our lives around the the, the greatest leadership principle ever taught, most transformational, most powerful. Uh, uh, Every leader that you respect has embraced this. And every leader that you don't respect probably hasn't. And you could lead without it, but you'll never be a leader worth following if you don't get this it's going to explain in part why a small little Jewish sect in the 1st century who followed a crucified teacher who was opposed by the most powerful force on the planet the Roman government at the time it's going to explain this principle is going to explain how they not only survived but they thrived and they multiplied and in 4 centuries they actually overturned the very forces that sought to extinguish them it's this principle And uh but 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 what Jesus came and and he taught this principle was so radical and so revolutionary that that the whole world had had thought differently about leadership and even the religious systems and structures in the world thought differently about leadership. For them it was top down. I have it on the screen here. (laughs) Top down. You know what I'm saying? Like It's the pyramid. And if you can get to the top, everyone below you exists to serve and support you and make your name even greater. And so uh, Caesar was like this. And the Sanhedrin was like this. The religious systems was like this. And Jesus came on the scene and he said, no, great leadership, true leadership, kingdom greatness is not top down. It's upside down. Or as uh, I like what Josh Duncan said last week, it's upside Right. And if we can wrap our lives around this, then then this means that the mission will go forward. The most important mission the universe has ever seen continues to go forward through our lives, and we play our role well. And so, we're going to look at that here today in in Matthew chapter twenty. Matthew chapter twenty is where we're going to be at mostly. Uh, We have been going through the series, the King and the Kingdom. it is our way this year to just look at uh, what, what the central theme of the Gospel of Matthew is, that there is a king and he has a kingdom, and he's inviting us to be his citizens, his, his saints, his sons and daughters. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we ended at the end of Matthew 16. and, and We're going to skip ahead to 20 this week, and then we'll go back next week a little bit. But uh, you'll, you'll see why in a moment. If you were here a few weeks ago, at the end of Matthew 16, the disciples finally, for the first time, acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they had been hoping for and promised. And so they were excited. And Jesus immediately said, and by the way, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised again. And they could not fathom a suffering Messiah. And so Uh, That's when Peter's like, no, I'm going to rebuke you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, hey, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. That, That was the first time Jesus had been explicit. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And the reason I want to show that is because in the very next chapter, he says it again in 1722. He says, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again. And look at their response at the end of verse 23. And they were greatly distressed. They, they, they just could not connect the dots. There was a cognitive dissonance in their hearts and minds. They could not do, understand it. Because they had this, this idea of greatness. And the Messiah is the greatest ever. And they could not fathom. And, and they wanted to be great. Like you and I want to be great. And like my, my kids and, and every athlete and every person who's ever lived, sometimes you talk to people and you argue about who's great. You might not put it in those terms, but you might put it in terms of like, no, you serve me, I don't serve you. Who, who's the greatest? And, and Luke tells us that they would argue about this often. And in fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, it says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They're having this argument. Maybe they're saying, I, I think it's, it's going to be, Mo- of course, the Messiah. But then it's going to be Moses and maybe some of the prophets. And they're hoping that Jesus is going to throw their names in there as well. And you guys, too, because you're my disciples. And Jesus doesn't do that. Since Jesus went and got a child and he brought this no-name child and sat this child in their midst. And he says, you want to be great? You want to learn what kingdom greatness really looks like? Spend some time with this guy. like this guy, we don't even know what this kid's name is. He's like, well, then you're starting to understand what kingdom greatness looks like. Spend some time with children. Like, but Jesus, they're not at the top of the pyramid. And he's like, well, you're getting warmer. Well, you go on to chapter 20 now. And starting in verse 13, your paragraph header might say, Jesus foretells his death a third time. He's just on repeat telling him, and I love this because, like you and me, we forget things. We, we we don't. We're not quick to embrace things. We're not quick to say yes, Lord, to all that God has revealed. So he he's on repeat telling him, "I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And on the third day, by the power of God, I'm going to be raised again." But at this point, we Matthew doesn't tell us how the disciples respond. There's no great distress. There's no rebuking of Jesus. The next paragraph says a mother's request. That's what I want to look at today. A mother's request. So right after Jesus has just talked again about being crucified, the most horrific and flogged, the most horrific fate any person could ever face, a mother has a request. Verse 20. Listen carefully. This is God's word. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Now there's some indication, some probability, that, that this is not just a mother's request to, to a, a rabbi, that, that they actually might be related to Jesus. Like James and John might be cousins of Jesus. And so she is a she's a great mom. Like if she lived today, she would move out to the suburbs because she cares about her kids. And she wants to see her kids. Like like every parent here, there's something in us that that wants greatness for ourselves. But even more than that, we want to see our kids raised up and flourishing and greatness in them even beyond us. And so she's a good mom. And she's like, hey, I have a request for you, Jesus. Can you answer? Can you give? just grant me this request with my sons, James and John, you know? Verse 21, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. She's got tremendous faith. We believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're going to establish your kingdom, Jesus. And I just, I I would love to see my sons. You get the throne, you get the big throne, but but those little tiny chairs next to the big throne—can they sit in those seats, Jesus? Can, can 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 they be a secretary of defense and and maybe the vice president in your kingdom, Jesus? It's not a wrong request. In fact, Jesus isn't going to say, "How could you ask for that?" That's not that's that that's not bad. Seeking greatness isn't wrong. Wanting greatness for our kids isn't wrong. Jesus just wants us to know how we get it. And so he says this. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. He he says to the woman, you you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what that involves. I've just said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. You don't know that the gory comes before the glory. And those that follow me, follow that path. The glory comes before the glory. You're not understanding what you're asking. And then he turns to the disciples and he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They, they should have known right there. Cup, Old Testament, that, that, that's suffering. That's, that, that's pain. That's, that's wrath. Like, and Jesus says, can you do that? And, and I love their response. Oh, we're able. We got this. No problem, Jesus. Yeah, whatever. Well, we just we're just so we're we're just so in on you. It, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, whatever cup. We'll we'll do that if we can get the left and right. We'll, we'll take that. And then Jesus said to them, "You will drink my cup." He prophesies over them more than they know in that moment. If they knew what he actually meant, they might have fled right in that moment. Because these guys will eventually get it. And they will get it so much that they will drink the cup. They will suffer. They will die for following Jesus. It says, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Now look at what happens in verse 24. So the other disciples start hearing, they're like, what's what's the mom asking? What are they they talking about? And so, verse 24, and when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why? Not because they're like, hey, how could you talk to him right up after he just talked about dying? No, no, no. They're indignant because they're like, dude, you're going to get your mom involved? Like we're all scrambling for, for this position. You, your mom, who you're related to? Come on, man. We want those positions. In fact, we deserve them. We're better than you. And, and they start arguing again. They're arguing again, I'm the greatest. No, no, you serve me. I don't serve. No, I'm the greatest. And and in this argument, Jesus says, guys, 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 come here. You got to understand at this moment, Jesus only has a few more days left to live. This, this, This message that they get it is so urgent. He says, guys, come here, come here. Listen to me. Verse 25. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles or the nations lord it over them and their great ones exercise exercise authority over them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know that Jesus. That's why we want it. We want to be at the top. We, we know how systems work. We know how power works. We, we know that the nations do that. That's what we want. That's what we're asking for, Jesus. And then he says something that gets overlooked, but we should... We should highlight it, memorize it. It's five words in in the Greek, but seven in ours. It says, it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. That's not how my kingdom works. That's not how greatness is pursued. So then he says, but whoever would be great among you, or your translation might have that as a question. Whoever wants to, to be great. And they're like, he's like, guys, do any of you want to be great? And they're kind of sheepish. They're like, probably the right answer is no, but the honest answer is yes. He's like, no, no, raise your hand. Do you want to be great? And they're like, yeah, I want to be great. He's like, okay, okay. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. They're like, what? No, 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 that's like, you want others to... Like, you want us to let others cut in line in front of us? Like, that, that's no fun. Why do you always have to go negative, Jesus? Like, that, that sounds bad. I, we don't want to be servants. Like, for us, servant is kind of a concept. Like, these guys knew what servants were. Like, for us, I, my robot vacuum is my servant. I just say go, and it vacuums. It's amazing. But for them, maybe some of them had been servants, they didn't like that. Matthew's family had servants. And Matthew knew how, how his family talked about the servants. And they're like, in no way does this sound good, Jesus. Yeah, we want to be great, but that, that, that's too upside down. He says, oh, I'm not finished, guys. I'm not done yet. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Like, What? Okay, servant is one thing, but slaves, that's bottom of the rung. That's back of the line. That's no, uh, no power, no authority, no, no influence. Like that, That's the lowest of the low, Jesus. Are you serious? Are you serious? And, and before they can actually uh, uh, vocalize any of that or object to any of that, Jesus says something that, again, if there is something you highlight and memorize, it's this verse, verse 28. It says, Would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I, I am the greatest. And because I'm the greatest, I came not to be served, but to serve. And I'm not asking anyone of my followers to do that which I won't do further, better, and more than you're going to do. I came to serve and not be served. Oh, I had a throne in glory and the angels sang my praises from eternity past. Holy, holy, holy. And they worshiped and adored me. But when I looked down and I stepped down from heaven, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And more than that, I came to go further, lower than a slave. I came to go to the cross to die in your place and suffer the death that you deserved in your place. Now, I don't think this is when the disciples got this. We already know the disciples are like us. They, They can hear things time and time and time again. I don't think this is when they got it. I think it was a couple days later, or at least a couple days later when they finally started to click. And Jesus has been basically teaching this message now for Three years to these guys for 20 chapters. The kingdom of heaven is upside down. You pursue greatness in a totally different way. I, I think it happens in a few days later. See, a few days later, the disciples and Jesus are going to go into Jerusalem. And there's going to be crowds just praising. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And and they're shouting and they're screaming. And and there's just this buzz in the air. And Jesus is riding a donkey. That's weird. You should be on a big steed. But nevertheless, the the disciples are are down with it, right? Like, they're getting high fives. They're signing autographs. They're not the guy, but they're with the guy. And they're like, this is amazing. This is what we thought. This is what we knew was going to happen. The kingdom's going to come. Messiah's going to establish his kingdom. This is what we thought. We don't know what he was talking about before, but this is what we're we We're talking about. This is why we wanted to be on your right and your left. And Jesus says, okay, guys, I want to, I want to celebrate the Passover with you. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's what we do. That's why we're here. He's like, go, you guys go uh, and, and arrange the, the, an upper room, get a room for us, uh, arrange everything we need. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll get that. And maybe they grumble amongst each other. It's your job to get the room. Like that's below me. No, no, it's your job. Like, and finally someone's like, fine, I will just. I, I got a contact. I'll get the room. And so they, they get the room and, and Jesus comes and, and has a supper. And, and during the course of the supper, Judas leaves on some weird errand that no one knows about. And they're like, that was weird. Uh, but they're maybe talking about who's the greatest. And, and, and then there's this thing that happens in John's gospel. In John chapter 13, I have it on the screen here. Starting in verse four, it says, "Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist." At this point, they're freaking out. At this point, they're making eye contact with each other and like, "Who? It was your job to get the foot washer. Who got the foot washer? It's not my job to get the foot washer." That's beneath me, and they're like, "Oh no! Look what he's doing! He's got a bowl. He's got a... And, and they're they're horrified. They're terrified that that this this Messiah that they had put all their hope and trust in they they seen what those hands could do. They've seen these hands touch lepers and make them clean. They've seen these hands bring touch people's eyes and make them see they've seen them bring dead people back to life and and now these hands are are getting wet and and Jesus begins to get down and I believe you could hear a pin drop in that moment and he begins to wash the disciples feet that's slave stuff right there only slaves did that and he washes their feet and they're horrified in fact it gets to gets to Peter uh in verse eight and Peter said you should never wash my feet that's beneath you, Jesus. And they're so ashamed right now because they're like, man, one of the other guys should have done this. What is their problem? And, and he says, No, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he's like, wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, You're taking this too far. Okay. But he continues to wash. How long does it take to wash eleven dudes' feet? Forty minutes? Just in silence. This is where I think they start to get it. Like, oh my goodness. He's washing our feet. And then when he dries them off, he says something at the end. Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, You want to know what greatness is? The greatest get the lowest, and you should pursue greatness. It'll matter forever and ever and ever. So, so one way, just one way that we do that here. I mean, many of you are serving and pursuing and, and are unknown and are, are doing just amazing things. But one way, and, and frankly, in three and a half years, we have not done a good job of laying down the tracks on Sunday morning for you to pursue greatness. And, and so we want to change that. So we've got a card in your seat. Uh, and in the card you kind of see there's different teams and these are our needs. These are actually just the bare necessities that we need for, for our Sunday to happen. And again, we're, we're not all about Sunday, but, but here's what Sunday does for us. It, it gathers us and it scatters us. It, it, it helps us rejoice, know each other, and then sends us out. So sends us into gospel communities where, where people's faith grows stronger, where families do life together, uh, pursuing the Lord, where marriages are healed. It sends us into ministries that you're doing. Foster kids are being take, taken care of and provided for. It sends us to church planning endeavors in and, and Castle Rock, in Italy, in Ireland, and in Nepal. So much happens. So much happens as a catalyst of our time of serving one another here. And so we're asking. On the uh, outback, we have this board. It's going to be on the screen here. And you see there's five teams. Kids teams, connect team, roadie team, (coughs) tech team, worship team. Let's zoom into the kids team for a moment. Because here's what I want to look at. Every church that's ever existed has had the hardest time with this one. And the reason is because they don't understand what Jesus said in Matthew 18. You want to pursue greatness? You want to see what greatness really looks like? Spend some time with the kids. But here's the other thing. This is the only one of the five teams that, that uh, while we're here, other people are serving right now. It's one of the reasons we have two services, so that you can sit one and serve in one. Sit and serve. So, so um, in it, here, here's what, what you're thinking as, as you think about kids' ministry. You're thinking, man, I can't do that. <laughs> and by the way, if you're not good with kids, we don't want you to do that. We'd really rather not couple things about kids ministry. We've actually been able to have kids ministry for a few months but we haven't really been able to have it. We've turned families away because, and potential visiting families because we said we just don't have the servants. We can't open up all the rooms. Next week we want to open up all the rooms. Now here's the thing if I say hey would you consider serving in kids? You're like oh no that means no more happiness. That means no more me time. That means I can't possibly enjoy life again. I'm like, well, it gets worse. We're asking you to do it for six months. Oh, my goodness. Well, here's what I'm asking. Because I want to point out this one, because it's the most labor-intensive one. We're asking you, over the next six months, to give 12 hours of your life to the most important mission on the planet. We'll all give ourselves over to 12 hours more of things that will, in the end, not matter at all. Some of you will do that today on Netflix. So it's not too much. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to to fill out a card. On the back, you can put your name, contact information. There's a few spots uh, you'll see that that are open. You can fill that out, and then you go. uh, There's big Sharpie markers out there. There's some push pins. You fill that out and and put it in your slot, pin it to the card. And then here's what's going to happen. Uh, each one of the team leaders is going to get your information. Within the next day or so, they'll contact you and they'll say, hey, depending on the team, here's what you need to know. Here's when, when, when we're going to do training. And and they'll put you into our system to schedule you out. That, that's as simple as that. Now You can take that off for now, just black screen for now. Now, back to the disciples. That's the moment I think they started to get it. They didn't really get it until Jesus died, and then on Saturday they were just crestfallen and they were mourning and depressed. And then on Sunday morning, by the power of God, Jesus conquered death in the grave and everything came clear in that moment. The Spirit came and empowered them. They eventually, these guys that were just like you and me, who struggled to believe, struggled to obey, struggled to believe that greatness is found through upside down means. These guys struggled. Eventually they got it. Oh, did they get it? They wrapped their lives around this principle that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. They got as low as possible so that we see in the book of Acts, the story of the early church as the disciples were growing by thousands and thousands and thousands every day. They were so committed to the way of Jesus that it became a problem. Can you imagine that? As the needs of the church was growing, as the church was growing, we find the disciples serving the, the poor and the oppressed, the, the, the orphans and the widows. And they're every day just working so hard to make sure the widows are cared for. And they're like, there's nothing beneath me. Uh, we just want to be like Jesus because there was nothing beneath Jesus. And we just want to be like him. And, and so they're serving widows, serving widows until someone said, hey, you guys are the only ones that were with Jesus. We need to know about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but Jesus told us to serve the widows. are like, yes, serve the widows. We can serve the widows with you. And they had to pry the hands of of Peter and James and John off the the serving trays. And they say, will you just teach us about Jesus in Acts chapter 6. And I love how it concludes. It says, and the word of God increased, and the numbers of disciples multiplied. When we get this, man, the mission goes forward. Not only did the disciples get it, but the first four centuries, the Christians lived this out tremendously. It had to be appalling at first in a culture that worshiped power and authority and might for people to get low. But eventually it became appealing. Because if you study church history, it was the Christians who left no one behind. It was the Christians who would go to the city dump heap and, and find the abandoned children and take them in and, and raise them as their own. It was the Christians who, who cared for the sick and the poor, the, the widows, the orphans. It was the Christians who gave their lives away. When the plagues would hit, Christians would go into the cities. They would die often, but they would also do two things. They would show the love of Christ, and they developed immunities, which helped, by the way. And so what was appalling became appealing and eventually that became contagious. So that this little band of Jewish sect that followed a crucified teacher who had no authority, no power, no territory turned the world upside down. So if you want to be great, that's awesome. Jesus says, "Be great." It starts with a question. Every great leader has this question and it starts like this, "How can I help?" If you ask that question in your business, you'll be a leader worth following. If you ask that question uh, on your sports team and you're like, how how can I make the others around me better? You'll you'll be an amazing athlete. If you ask that question as a husband and as a father, you'll be a great husband and father. In every area of life, if you ask this question, how can I help? It will change everything. The first century Christians modeled this with their lives. Jesus calls us to this. And Jesus... Look down on our helpless estate from heaven. And he asked this question. And for him, it meant putting on flesh, coming, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. To that end, let's pray for us that Jesus will make us a little bit more like him today. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Father, I pray that uh, we would be great. Lord, we want, it. we want to have lives that matter, that, that aren't wasted, that are significant. We want to love one another and our neighbors and the nations. Uh, Lord, it's so hard for us to wrap our lives around it because so often I fail to believe this. And it's a moment-by-moment moment decision. So, Lord, help us as a church to ask the question, how can I help? How can I serve my brothers and sisters? For your glory and for the joy of all people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.